And, and I want to do something a little different this year. I, I, I want to look at, at the Christmas story through the eyes of God and, and how he allowed the vision and the, the, the person of, of Jesus and what he would come to do. I, I want us to look at how God allowed Mary and Joseph and the shepherds and, and the wise men to see through his eyes. Now, here's the issue. When we, when we get around Christmas time, we can get very sentimental because we have a lot of traditions around Christmas time. There's family, you know, Christmas tree, decorating the house, Christmas cookies, Christmas cookies, <laughs> Christmas cookies, okay? And some of you can just hit a home run with your Christmas cookies. So we have a lot of traditions and it can get very sentimental. And we can get sentimental too about the Christmas story. And I don't know about you, but in my house, we always had a manger, a manger scene. And many of you have manger scenes that you set up during this time of the year. You remember the manger scene as you grew up and, you know, you've got, you know, you've got, you know, the, you know, just, you've got the the cows there and they're lowing, whatever that means, but they're lowing. And you've got the baby Jesus there. I remember hearing a funny story about a little boy who was just really bad and during Christmas time and he wanted a bike so bad. And his mom said, I, I don't know if you're, you're, you're going to get a bike. And so she noticed that the baby Jesus was missing from the manger scene and there was a note attached to it. And they said, you're not getting baby Jesus back unless I get a bicycle. So he ransomed poor little baby Jesus. So we have... <laughs> We, we have this like view of the manger scene and it's like, you know, everything looks so tranquil. It looks so peaceful. It looks so nice. And if, if I were to just title this message, I would say what the manger scene didn't tell you. you know, there's a lot going on behind what we see behind the scene of just Jesus being born on, on that one day. And what I want to do is I want to look behind the scenes a little bit to see their tremendous obstacles that Mary and Joseph had to endure to even get to that place of the birth of the Savior of, of the world. I mean, I want you to just think for a moment what they had to go through. You, you, have, an, you have an unwed, pregnant, young teenager. She's got to tell her parents that, oh, yeah, I, you know, I was told that this is going to be the savior of the world. Oh, yeah. And then you've got Joseph, who's got to hear this, who's betrothed to be Mary, married to, to Mary. And she's got to tell him this. And he's got to try to believe this. She, you've, you've got them traveling probably 90 miles from where they were to get to Bethlehem because they had to register in their hometown. You've, you've got shepherds who who God tells them about this wonderful, wonderful birth of this Savior. He, 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 he gives the message to these lowly shepherds who are watching sheep nearby. You've got the wise men who travel from, from the east to come, probably a year or two later to come and see the baby Jesus in the house. And they had to go through Herod. And then you had Herod that, that was jealous of this and gives an edict to, to, to kill all the boys two years and younger in that area. And then you've got Mary and Joseph at that point who have to flee uh, to Egypt. You have all this stuff that, that's going on. And my question to you this morning is how in the world did they make it? How in the world 
did they keep encouraged with so many discouraging things that were going around them. You would just think God gives this word and then everything's going to be hunky-dory. It was not hunky-dory. The manger scene that we see today is not the whole story. There's so much more behind it. And my prayer for you is that you would see through God's eyes. Do you see what I see? Now, 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 now just... Just hang with me for just a second. In your situation today, you may see dysfunction. In your situation today, you may feel like, man, how is this going to work out? Here's the whole thing that we're going to be doing for the next four weeks. I want you to see through God's eyes because God sees something different. And what God did for Mary and Joseph, he allowed them to see through his eyes. And I believe That's what helped them to make it through. Because listen, life was not easy for them. It was a constant, constant struggle. And so what I want to do is not only look at their lives, but I want to kind of look at the culture of that day also. And so this is what we're going to look at over the next several weeks. Looking into the culture, the political climate that Mary and Joseph faced. So so on the surface... How did they make it? And how did they not get discouraged just to give up? And it would be easy for them to get discouraged and allow their circumstances to get them down. But God, under these difficult circumstances, gives them understanding and he allows them to see the birth of Jesus through his eyes. And I believe what they did was, is they clinged to the word of God that was originally given to them so they could make it through the difficult circumstances that they would have to face. And so this is what gave them hope not to give up. And so what I want to do this morning is I want to look at how God spoke to Joseph concerning the birth of Jesus. So we're going to look at God speaking to Joseph and allowing Joseph to see through God's eyes and what he's going to have to endure. Many times we don't really talk a lot about Joseph, but Joseph is spoken to in the word of God. And I want to look at that because the book of Matthew kind of shows us what God is doing through the person of Joseph. Next week, we'll look at Mary and we'll look at the book of Luke concerning God speaking to Mary. So I want to jump into the word of God. I want to look at Matthew chapter one, and we're going to specifically look at verses 18 through 25. And we're going to look at the birth of Jesus, and we're going to kind of see it here through the eyes of Joseph. You got your Bibles, turn there, phones, look at the screens, but let's let's see what God is saying here and, and through the recorded word of God through Matthew. And it says, this is how the birth of Jesus came about. His mother, Mary, was pledged to be married to Joseph, but before they came together, she was found to be with child through the Holy Spirit. Because Joseph, her husband, was a righteous man And did not want to expose her to public disgrace. He had in mind to divorce her quietly. But after he had considered this. An angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream. And said Joseph son of David. Do not be afraid. Interesting that he said Joseph son of David. We're going to dig into that because that's important. 
He said, do not be afraid to take Mary home as your wife because she will conceive what is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit and she will give birth to a son and you are to give him the name what? Jesus. Because he will save his people from their sins. And this all took place to fulfill what the Lord had said through the prophet. The virgin will be with child and will give birth to a son and they will call him Emmanuel, which means God with us. And Joseph woke up. He did what the angel of the Lord commanded him and he took Mary home as his wife, but he had no union with her until she gave birth to a son. And, and he gave him the name Jesus. And everybody said, amen. Thank you for Jesus. So let me first give you some cultural background here that might help to give you a fresh perspective of this story. It's interesting that Matthew's account uh, of the Christmas story is seen through Joseph and Luke, which we'll look into next week, is actually seen through the perspective of, of Mary. And so Matthew's account does two things for us. It speaks to the human birth and it speaks to Jesus's divinity. So let, let, let me speak of Matthew's encounter because it's important for us to give a context to the Christmas story. So we see Matthew speaking of Jesus' human birth, and it also speaks to his divinity, especially in verse 23, where Jesus is called Emmanuel, which means God with us. So the virgin birth of Jesus is God's sign. It's a sign that the Messiah would actually be with us. It's the fulfillment of an Old Testament prophecy some 700 years earlier, speaking of a Messiah that would actually come to earth. God with us. God coming in flesh. The, what makes the birth of Jesus so incredible is God actually came in human flesh to live amongst us. Which means this. He understands what you go through. Somebody say Amen. Flesh and blood, you can, he can sympathize with what you go through. He experienced our pain and our suffering and temptation. We have a perfect Savior who understands what we go through. And so the virgin birth is a direct fulfillment of Isaiah 7, 14, where, where Isaiah, is, it, through the words of God, says, Therefore the Lord himself will give you a sign. Here is the sign. You want a sign? Here's the sign. The virgin will conceive and give birth to a son and they will call him Emmanuel. What better sign did you you want than that? That's pretty specific. And so this is what's being fulfilled before Joseph's eyes. God is saying the fulfillment of Old Testament scripture is coming before you right now. Emmanuel, God will be with us. You are giving birth to the son of God conceived through the Holy Spirit. And so understanding Jesus' fulfillment of the Old Testament prophecy is crucial. It is so crucial. Maybe for you and I sitting here today, it may not be that crucial. But for who Matthew was writing to, it was crucial for this reason. Matthew was Jewish and his primary audience was Jewish. And the Jews were looking for a Messiah to come. And Matthew speaks to them by saying, here he is. It's Jesus. He's fulfilling the Old Testament prophecy of a, of a Messiah coming. So what, what makes the name Jesus so significant? And so the angel says, this is what you are to name him. You are to name him 
Jesus. The name Jesus speaks to what he will do. And Jesus, what he will do, it means literally the Lord saves. He will save us. He's come to rescue us. From what? What did Jesus come to rescue us from? Well, he came to rescue us from sin and the wrath of God that will be poured out upon our sins. God is loving, but how many of of us know also that God is just? And so because God is loving, he has to deal with our sin. There has to be a punishment for our sin and our rebellion. So what God does for us that we couldn't do for ourselves is he actually sends his son who is perfect in every way to become our substitute. So upon the cross, God's wrath was poured out upon Jesus, which should have been poured out upon us. So by us putting our faith in Christ Jesus, we are rescued from the wrath of God. Everybody say amen. So the Lord saves. He's come to save us. And then the name Emmanuel speaks to who he is, which literally means God with us. God set up residency with us. He lives among us. So Matthew over and over again will use scripture to substantiate the Messiahship of Jesus. Matthew will say over and over again, he will say this took place to fulfill what the Lord has spoken through the prophet. So what Matthew does is he proves his messiahship in chapter one through his genealogy and through his miraculous birth and then by his miracles. And so that's why he said, Joseph, you're in the line of David because they understood that the Messiah had to come through the kingship in the line of David. And so what Matthew does is he proves that through the genealogy. And so what we see in Jesus is this. He's fully man and he's fully God. He's both. Jesus would be able to sympathize with us. And the scriptures say that he has gone through everything that we've gone through yet without sin. So we have a perfect savior in every way. So Jesus being God means this. He is perfect in every way. So God literally comes to earth in the form of man to deal with our greatest problem, which is sin. So God is the only one who can truly rescue us. He is the only one who can truly bring us hope. And that's what I want to focus on today. That's what I want to look at today. How does the birth of the Messiah give Joseph hope in the midst of uncertain time? So let's look at the person of Joseph because Joseph's not given a lot of press. And, uh, and what I like what they do say about Joseph is there is something very unique about about Joseph. Not much is said about Joseph, but the one thing that we do know that he was a carpenter and also he was a righteous man. And so at the time, the Jews were living under the rule of Rome. And so life was not easy for them. And so what we see through this account is that Joseph's pledged to be married, uh, pledged to be married to Mary when the news breaks out that she is with child. And Joseph, it says, the scriptures say, Joseph being a righteous man, not wanting to put her to public shame, was going to divorce her quietly, in verse, as verse 19 tells us. Now, the question is, why would he want to uh, divorce her quietly if they're not even married yet? So this is where we have to get a, a deeper understanding of what's going on in this situation. And this is interesting. This is where... Uh, we kind of need to get an understanding of engagement during that time. 
Um, if they're only engaged, then why would they have to go through a divorce? Why, why couldn't Joseph just say, well, see you later, you know, um, I'm out. Why didn't he just say that? Well, let me explain the culture then, because it's much different from what we would understand. Let me just take a minute to explain this. First, um, you didn't pick your spouse. Your parents did. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Some of your parents are like, man, I want to pick that spouse. How many parents like that idea? Yeah, you like that. Yeah. <laughs> Amen, pastor. How many single people like that idea? Right. No, 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 thank you. Uh, uh, I know that uh, my daughter Lily would just love that idea. She's 17. She would just love that if I picked out her because she would never have a spouse. She would live with me forever. No, I'm just teasing. Um, so here's the thing. Here's the thing I want you to understand. The average age for a girl in the first century to be betrothed, to be pledged to be married, was between the ages of 12 and 14. 12 and 14. So for the average man, the age to be betrothed would be around age 18. Now, th- th- this is how important the engagement period was. It's not like what we think of engagement today, where we can just break the engagement and then just move on. There's no legality to it. You just move on. When you were betrothed or engaged, it would be a actual a formal contract, which gave the man legal rights over his future wife. And so the contract itself would be as binding as the marriage itself. And, and, and with that, there was a dowry that would be paid to the girl's family. I believe we need to bring that back. <laughs> Can I get an amen? Fathers of daughters, especially if you just, all you have is daughters, right? Because you go broke, right? You, you got all girls. You're like, wait a minute. Why, why do the, my question is, why does the parents of the girl, why do we got to pay for the wedding? No, come on, man. So let's dowry. Give me some. So there was a dowry that was paid. And, uh, uh, and, and so maybe it was three donkeys. Uh, maybe it was four goats. I don't, I don't know what the dowry was, whatever it was. There was a dowry that was paid to give his daughter's hand in marriage. And so when you were engaged, you would not enter, uh, you, would, you just wouldn't lightly enter into that contract with your, your, your future spouse. And, and when you entered into that betrothal period, you wouldn't even see that person. You would, they would be separated. It's not like today where you can text, Snapchat, you know, Snapchat, you can FaceTime, you always see the person. There, there is no contact. And what the husband would do is he would spend that year and, and, and usually build a separate room off his parents' home. So he would be preparing for their future home during this betrothal period. So technically, technically, you were considered husband and wife. The marriage would not be, uh, be official until the wedding ceremony itself. Now, this was a whole nother thing, um, which literally the wedding ceremony lasted for a week. And, and now, th- this is where it gets a little awkward, okay? So I'm just going to throw it out there. So we're just, everybody just say awkward. Just say awkward. Okay, it's going to get awkward. I mean, a little awkward, maybe even a little creepy, but it's going to get awkward here. So, so this is all true, okay? So everybody just put your big, big boy pants on because this is what happens, okay? So during the wedding feast, the couple, everybody's there. You had this big party. Relatives, Aunt Ethel's there. 
right? Uncle Freddy's there. Grandma and grandpa are there. You got everybody, right? Cousins, everybody. So there's a time during the wedding that the couple would go into the room that the husband built. Now let's take this a little further, okay? You're like, well, what are they going to do there, Pastor? Well, uh, this is where they would actually consummate the marriage with everybody there. Yeah, it's awkward. <laughs> now, can you imagine coming out of that room after all that was done? You got Aunt Ethel there. She's like, oh no. Now, as weird as that may sound to us today, as strange as that would sound today, and as much as any couple today would say, if you make me go through that, I will kill you. Uh, as strange as that, that would sound today, here, here's where I could even go further with this. It even goes even further. But just to keep it PG, I'm, I'm going to keep it there. But here it is. I want you to understand something here. Is, is I want you to see the whole process here of, of marriage and betrothal and why there was so much to do with it. Because so much of it was symbolic of God taking two people and making them one. God took that seriously. And you can see how important that marriage was between those two people. God took purity seriously. And actually, it should be something that is celebrated. And so as weird as it would be for our culture, it was actually something that was celebrated that, that a husband, as we see in the book of Genesis, shall leave his father and mother and he shall be united with his wife and literally the two shall become one. Physically, emotionally, spiritually, that's where they became one. It's actually a very beautiful thing and it's actually something to be Celebrated, but the problem in our we understand the problem in our society we've perverted everything we've perverted everything where we've actually like Isaiah said we've forgotten how to blush but that that in that culture it was actually something to be celebrated so 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 marriage to god is 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 a holy thing, and he actually blesses it he smiles upon it now now you can understand now with the whole seriousness of the betrothal period and the marriage and the celebration, you can understand a deeper way why the news of Mary's pregnancy would be devastating news to Joseph. Now, remember, they, they're in a small town. Everybody would know about it. Can you imagine her telling her parents, this is what God did, that she's going to give birth to the Messiah? Think of a 14-year-old girl telling that story to someone. Are you kind of catching it a little bit? It's, it, what we see in the manger scene is a whole lot more. There's something a whole lot more going on than just what we see in the manger scene. I can't imagine the insurmountable odds that were against Mary at this point. She had to completely trust God. Joseph had to completely trust God with the insurmountable uh, opposition that they would have from public opinion. Because I'm sure everybody had their opinions. Oh, yeah, sure. Oh, yeah. Oh, oh, an angel came. Oh, really? 
an angel came. Oh, really? I'm sure everybody had their opinions. And so she has this message from God and has to overcome the judgment of others. So here's just where I want to land the plane this morning. And and I want to look at what changed Joseph's mind to marry her. Now, he was going to divorce her privately and not put her to public shame. We know that Joseph was a righteous man. But we know that God spoke to him through the angel. What, what, what changed Mo, Mo, uh, Joseph? I said Moses. What changed Moses? Jeez, what Bible am I reading? What changed Joseph's mind? And why doesn't he leave her? So here's what I want you to see. Here's what I want you to see. After hearing this word from God through the angel, Joseph now sees the big picture. He sees beyond his own circumstances and sees beyond what he might face through public humiliation. Do you see that? I want you to see that he sees something beyond the public humiliation and running away because he has this word from God. So how did Joseph overcome his circumstances? How did he do that? How did he overcome his circumstances? Well, here's what, here's, here's the whole point. The point is he allowed himself Joseph allowed himself to see his circumstances through God's eyes now. This is what trips up every single one of us in this room. This is what trips us up. When we're faced with a difficult circumstance in our life, when we feel like we can't overcome this stuff, what trips us up, what causes us to lose hope and faith in God is we get caught up in our circumstances and we allow our circumstances to dictate our future. We allow our circumstances to begin to speak to our heart and our mind. And that's where we get tripped up because that's what causes us to become hopeless. For Joseph, if he allowed his circumstances to dictate what he was going to do, he would have gave up a long time ago. But now, now he has a word from God and he's got to trust that. Now, are his circumstances the same? Everybody say yes. His circumstances have not changed. They're still the same. He's got to face public humiliation. He's got all these things he has to face. That has not changed. But what has changed is he's got a word from God. I'm going to start preaching now, okay? Mm. He got a word from God. When you have a word from God, everything changes. Your circumstances will now not hold you down when you get a word from God. And some of you need a word from God. Here's the problem. We hear the world. Everybody's clamoring for our attention. And here's the word of God right here that never gets opened. And God says, listen, I want to speak to you. And when you open God's word and you begin to read it and you begin to devour it, God will begin to speak to you in your particular circumstance. He will speak to you. He will give you a peace. And you're saying, man, how am I making it through this? And you can say to yourself, It is well with my soul. I know God is with me. I know God is for me. I know God will never leave me or forsake me. I'm going to trust Jesus. Even though the circumstances is the same, I know that Jesus is not going to leave me. So Joseph allowed himself to see through God's eyes. So God shows Joseph, this is what he shows him. He shows them the promised Messiah will be Jesus and he will rescue people from their sins. So here's what God doesn't do. 
Here's what God doesn't do for Joseph. God doesn't promise Joseph that his life will be easy. Or that the circumstances that would surround the birth of Jesus would be easy. The only thing that God gave Joseph was this word saying, I'm going to be with you. This is the name that you shall give him. You can go ahead and and marry, 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 because, because the Holy Spirit is the one. The Holy Spirit is inside of her. You can trust me. And you have to believe me. And so what did Joseph do? Joseph obeyed the word of God. He obeyed it. And he trusted what God said to him. God doesn't promise Joseph that his life would be easy or that the circumstance that would surround the birth of Jesus would be easy. But what God does promise Joseph is that he would be with them, that he would guide them, and that he would lead them by his presence, step by step by step. So it, it, it would be the promise of the Savior that would keep them going. So let, let's, let's apply this to our lives. Let's apply this to our lives. What keeps us going when life seems unbearable? What keeps us going when life seems unbearable? And it, it, it may feel unbearable for you right now. Here's what God does. God gives us an assurance Blessed assurance, Jesus is mine. Oh, what a foretaste of glory divine. Love that song. Nobody sang that with me, by the way. You hung me out there to dry. You're saying you're going to sing that all by yourself, Pastor. See, God gives us this assurance through Jesus that he will never leave us or forsake us. And we have a future hope that God will always take care of us. He will always take care of us. Amen. So here's the thing. Here's the thing. Jesus is, is getting ready to leave the earth. He's telling his disciples that, that he'll be leaving. And the disciples are like, well, where are you going, Jesus? Why, why are you leaving us? You know, where are you going? And I believe Jesus gives some of the most comforting words in all of the New Testament. And this is what Jesus says to his disciples before his departure in John 14. He said, listen, listen, guys. Don't let your hearts be troubled. You believe in God, believe also in me. Because my father's house has many rooms, many dwelling places, many mansions. If it were not so, I would have told you. And I'm going there to prepare a place for you. And if I go to prepare a place for you, I will come back and take you to be with me. That you may also be where I am. And you know the way to the place where I'm going. And then Thomas, one of the disciples says, Lord, we don't know where you're going. So how do we know the way? And Jesus answered him, I'm the way, the truth, and the life. And no one comes to the father except through me. Jesus comforts his disciples by saying, don't let your hearts be troubled. I know it's going to look worse. It's going to get, it's going to get much worse, but don't let your hearts be troubled. Don't worry because I'm going to prepare a place for you. And in my father's house, are, are many rooms. There's not a no occupancy sign that goes up. It's, it's, it's open to all who come to me. And I'm going there to prepare a place for you. So don't let your hearts be troubled. And, and, and I'm going to come back and I'm going to get you. And so th- this, is what, this is what the disciples are going to have to hang on to. And I'm sure many times 
during, during the apostles or the disciples' times, when they were going through severe persecution, they were thinking about these very words. When you're going through a difficult time or a difficult circumstance, circumstance in your life, I want you to remember these words that Jesus says, I go to prepare a place for you. Don't let your heart be troubled. In this world, there will be tribulation. There will be trials. There will be sorrows. But take heart because I've overcome the world. John 16, 33. I've overcome the world for you. I like what Peter's, Peter says here. Such a good passage in 1 Peter 1, 3 and 4. It says, all praise to God, the father of our Lord Jesus Christ. It is by his great mercy that we have been born again. Because God raised Jesus Christ from the dead. Now we live with great, what's the word there? Expectation. We are born again. God has placed his Holy Spirit within us. We're waiting for that day of redemption. That's what gives us hope. We have this great expectation. And that we have a priceless inheritance. An inheritance that is kept where? In heaven. For you. For you. Point at yourself and say, for you, for those who've trusted Jesus, for you, pure, undefiled, beyond the reach of change and decay. Everybody say, amen, amen. So, so here's, here's the hope that we have today. Here's the hope. I want us to be a people that not only listen to God's word, but we literally cling to it with our very life. That realizing that God still speaks today. And he still speaks through his word today. God wants you to know not to lose heart. Not to give up. And as we traverse through these messages, we're going to see. We're going to see it through the eyes of Mary and wise men. And through the difficult things they had to go through. Through the killing of the two-year-old boys and under in that vicinity, we're going to see that it's not going to get better. But it's interesting how God, through each step of the way, gives them hope. There's a point, and I don't want to get ahead of myself, I don't want to get ahead of myself, but, but there's a point where Mary just looks at what's going on in the birth of Jesus, and she just pondered all these things in her heart. She was like, whoa, this is real. This is true. And I'm going to trust you. Mary expresses her heart to the Lord so many times. And we're going to look into that. This is what I want you to see today as we, as we, as we take communion. As we celebrate what Jesus Christ did for us. I want you to cling, on God, cling to God's word. And, and I, I, there, there are times like, in, in, and I don't know if you guys do this, but here, let me just give you a little thing that I do, and some of you probably do this, but when I'm reading through God's word, many times I will write, if I'm reading something and God speaks something in my heart, I'll put the date down. It's a, by the way, it's okay to write in your Bibles. It's okay. I'll give you permission to do this. <gasps> we can? Yes, you can. You can underline, highlight it, go ahead, dig into it. But a lot of times what I'll do is I'll write a date next to a verse that God has spoken in my heart. And as I go through it, I go, oh yeah, I forgot about that. I forgot about that difficult time in my life. And then, and, then, and then that word that God spoke to my heart, just to trust him or to know that he's there, all of a sudden it, it, it reiterates to my heart that God says to me, Barton, I was with you back there. And I'm going to be with you through this trial. I'm not going to leave you. 
See, it's God's word that we cling to. It was God's word that Mary and Joseph clung to to get them through the insurmountable circumstances that they were faced with today. Let God's word speak to you. It may be, you might be, you might be singing a worship song. God speaks to your heart. You just might, and like, oh my gosh, that's for me. Might be reading God's word. It might be listening to, to a song on the radio. You listen to Caleb and there's a song that comes on the radio. You're like, whoa, that's, or it's maybe another pastor or somebody you're listening to. Like, wow, God spoke to me in that situation. Cling to God's word. He's not going to leave you. This is what communion is all about. There's two things we do in communion that we're supposed to do. We are supposed to remember what Jesus did for us, that he provided for us. It's good for us to remember, isn't it? It's good, to us, it's good for us to remember that Jesus, whenever you do this, you do this in remembrance of me and what I provided for you on the cross. But there's another thing we're to do. We're also to look forward that Jesus provided this for us But guess where Jesus, he's in heaven and he's going to return one day. And so we look forward to our future place with Jesus in heaven. And that's what gives us hope. So when we take communion, yes, we're to examine our hearts. We want God to cleanse us, to renew us again. But also we look forward to saying, Jesus, heaven was all provided for me by you and what you did for us on the cross. And through the power of your resurrection You are who you said you are, and I can trust you. And so communion is open. It's not just for members of Living Word. It's open to all of you. For those of you who have trusted Jesus with your life, by all means, take communion and celebrate what Jesus did. And we're going to pray. And you might be here today, and you're just like, man, Pastor, I haven't made that commitment. You can do that right now. I love what the Word of God says. It it, it, it doesn't say coming to church saves you. Coming to church doesn't make you a Christian any more than going to McDonald's makes you a hamburger, right? We, we get that. We, we get that, right? What saves you is your faith in Christ Jesus and God's grace and mercy upon your life. You put your faith in Jesus. You believe that he's the one, the only one that could ever forgive you. That's what saves you and makes you right before God. That's the whole reason why Jesus came. It's to rescue you. So you fall on the mercy of Christ and he'll save you. By all means, take communion. So would you pray with me today? And for those of you that are just, you're facing some insurmountable thing in your life, I'm gonna pray that God would speak to you through his word and that he would give you a word that you would cling to in your very life. You know, one of the deepest, darkest times of my life is when we lost our first daughter. And I always remember there's a scripture in the Old Testament that said, but joy will come in the morning. But joy will come in the morning. God is faithful even in the midst of our darkness. Joy will come in the morning. And I clinged on that word every single day, even though I didn't feel it, even though I felt like I was in a deep, dark pit, I knew joy would come in the morning. And God was faithful. He's so faithful to me. this. He's such a good God. So Father God, as we come before you today, there's some in this room that just need a word from you. And I pray, God, that you would speak to to their hearts, that they would understand and know that the promises of God are something that we need to lean into and know that they're true. And that, God, you're faithful to meet our needs through your son, Jesus. I pray for anyone here who's not taken that step of, of making a commitment to you, 
dear Jesus, I pray right now at their seats that they would just call upon your name. And when we do that, we're brought into your family and our whole future changes. One from, one from just devastation to one of life and eternal life and inheritance that we now have in Christ Jesus. So Lord, as we take communion as a family, I pray you would just, just bring us together and unify us in the name of Jesus and that you would just bring your hope and the joy that we need even in the midst of our circumstances. Thank you for the hope that we have in Jesus today, that he's alive today and he's never gonna leave us or forsake us. We thank you and we love you and we just ask these things in Jesus' precious name. In Jesus' precious name, amen.